Welcome to Bat Therapy, exploring your favorite comic book characters through the lens of clinical psychology. Be a fly on the wall or a bat in a cave, listening in on a friendship built out of a love for talking Batman, comics, and the everyday struggle to achieve mental health and happiness. We are your hosts, clinical psychologist Dr. Amelia Brown and comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado Keaton Hopkins. This podcast is about providing education and understanding and is not a replacement for mental health treatment or support. If you're needing help, go to bat-therapy.com for resources. The time has finally come! (laughs) Okay, so for all of our listeners out there, I don't know if you have noticed this, but there's someone that I feel like I mention almost every issue. Uh, a, man, uh, a villain by the name of Killer Croc. Yes. And I feel like with me mentioning him every single time, <laughs> I uh, we should we should maybe talk about him. Yes, Keaton's love for Killer Croc runs wide. It runs deep. So, like when I first when I first hear his name, like you 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 think of all of the animals with the name killer in it right killer bees mm. killer whale mm. i feel like there's another one i'm forgetting i don't know every there's there's dozens of bad sci-fi movies with the name killer in front of a random animal right like it's up they yeah it's sharknado i don't know oh I my feel god like that's killer i swear yeah. i swear i was literally in my head thinking sharknado <laughs> i swear it's the go-to it's the best <laughs> It's, it really is the best. Uh, but yeah, Killer Croc is 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 like. So let me ask you, Amelia. Uh-huh. Uh, when when you hear the name Killer Croc, what's the what's the first thing that comes to mind? <laughs> and I thought I was a psychologist here. <laughs> I, I I just riddle me this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Leading with Killer and and Croc. Uh, I mean. I guess Croc is a more neutral thing, but but still, it it has a certain connotation, especially if you're not actually a crocodile. But yeah, killer killer right. is is quite the first name. Now, the biologist in me mm. was uh, bothered because when when we talk about his bat story, he was born in Florida. So even if he was <laughs> a reptilian, he would be an alligator and not a crocodile. Mm. So. But angry right alligator bat. doesn't really have the same spin. It's alliterative, though. Yeah. It's the the angry alligator. It, yeah. it sounds more like a children's book. It definitely does. <laughs> but, the hungry you know, caterpillar and the angry alligator. Right. You know, though, if if he he had been the angry alligator, okay, st- still connotations that that aren't necessarily the the most positive. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe things would have turned out a little different. Maybe. Because yeah, a Killer Croc is a a rough a rough name, and he didn't always have that name. Killer Croc was actually born Waylon Jones. Uh, he was from Florida, and he just had a bad skin condition. And of course, just like most villains, he was severely bullied and picked on. Uh, his mom died during childbirth, and. Of course, his dad abandoned him. Mm. And so Waylon was raised by his aunt. She took him in. However, Uh-oh. 
she happened to be a severe alcoholic. And so he was constantly ridiculed. He had no friends. And of course, he was in an abusive home because of the aunt. And so with his condition, he eventually started working with a circus or a carnival. He was part mm-hmm. of a side a sideshow carnival where he wrestled alligators. Okay, but once again then, where did Croc come from? Very good question. Do you have an answer? So he wrestled alligators so well that they gave him the nickname yeah. Killer Croc. Hmm. And so he wasn't really making a lot of money as a alligator wrestler with the carnivals. So that's when he turned to crime. And so he, he started working under different underbosses and kind of just started moving up the ranks until he caught the attention of Batman. And so one thing that is interesting about Killer Croc is he's kind of a joke character and mm-hmm. Be- because he's he's kind of a joke character, and I, I say that just because whenever you see him, it's like, oh wow, Killer Croc. I always forget that's a thing, right? It's it's unless you're Keaton, and then it's unless, all you think about, right? It's all <laughs> I think about every time they every time I watch a Batman movie or read a Batman comic, and they show Gotham Harbor, and I see the water, I'm like, hmm, wonder if Killer Croc's in there. Every time you go to fill the bathtub for your son or you go to the beach or you walk by a water fountain, you see Killer Croc there. Every Yep, there you go. Every single time. <laughs> every single time. Now, here's, here's one thing that I will say. He's a very menacing looking. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. Ind- individual. Because, so, comic book wise, at least according to the Batman Arkham games, He's nine feet tall. He's Damn. nine feet tall and 310 pounds. So he's he's massive. He's a big right. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In, in another universe, Killer Croc is the starting center for the Gotham Knights basketball team. Right? Uh, Wait. He, he, I'm sorry. So they won't let women with higher levels of testosterone be in be in like sports, like track and field and whatnot, but they let a nine foot tall. <laughs> I th- this isn't an actual universe that exists. I'm saying in another world. No, this this really exists somewhere. Okay, you're right. I mean, yeah, this is the multiverse we're I'll talking give, about. I'll give you that. In this multiverse, maybe, <laughs> maybe there aren't right. those other issues either. Right, right. And okay, I'd so that's like interesting. So it, 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 in different storylines, it looks different. But in general, he's trying to find his place in the world. And it maybe sometimes turns right. out better than uh, sometimes than others. So when, when he's on the Gotham Knights, is he also called Killer Croc? Is that like his his nickname? Oh, in my in my mind, in this universe that I made up, um, <laughs> you know, I think I think it becomes a good a, a good thing, maybe. Yeah. Like the killer croc, or but I don't know, the green machine, like something. Yes. Yeah. The the. Oh, that's the, better. The, the mean machine. Well, there, there's always yeah, because well, all right, so in i think it's the adam sandler movie the longest yard the name of the football team is the mean machine mm. but then also there's a disney movie all about soccer a soccer called the big green mm. which i i also think is is a perfect 
a perfect nickname. And then, That's of right, course, folks. our nerdiness goes beyond Batman. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I think the 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 big green wall in the Boston Red Sox stadium is the the green monster, right? Yeah. So I think that so going with green, I yeah, like it. I think the so. I mean, machine. he is yeah. he is green. So one thing that I'll say, DC did with with this guy is they they definitely went all in on oh his name's Killer Croc. Let's make him look like a crocodile and not explain why. Because it began yeah. with, oh, he has a skin condition. And it ended with, he has razor sharp teeth. He's green and looks just like an anthropomorphic alligator. Does he like, even have it, a tail or am I imagining? Am I adding that in my imagination? Great question. So in some universes he does have a tail okay in the arkham universe he ends up getting genetically experimented on to Aww. the point that he keeps resembling a um re- he he becomes more and more reptilian looking yeah. throughout okay. In, okay yeah now in the batman animated series universe they did something a little bit different in batman the animated series his name isn't waylon jones his name is morgan they they call him killer croc morgan and he still started with like he he just he still started wrestling alligators and all that but he As you do. is just this kind of an idiotic villain that just he, he's always like, I'm going to throw a rock at Batman. Like, it, he's almost every time he's on screen, he talks about how he's going to throw a rock at Batman and just hit him. And even, and Batman even makes fun of it because there's an episode called Almost Got Him where it's uh, Poison Ivy, Penguin, Joker, and Killer Croc, and they're all sitting at the table playing cards. Two-Face might be there. I haven't watched the episode in a while. And they're all telling their stories about how they almost got Batman. And Killer Croc just goes, I almost got him. And they're like, well, what did you do? And he goes, I, I, he came near me and I threw a rock at him. And they're all just like, oh, huh. Oh, he's Come fine. to find out that it was all a setup by Batman. And Batman was actually dressed as Croc. And then so all the other people. Right, and, and all yeah. the other people in the bar are undercover cops, and then they just make a giant drug, a giant like villain bust, all at once. Yeah. So, right. so Keaton, I think one thing I'm wondering is, why Killer Croc? Why is he always your go-to? I'm asking the question for all our listeners who aren't here to ask for themselves. So, when I look at all the different Batman villains, it's so many of them are just scientists that had bad days and it just kind of went south or you have the biggest his biggest villain the joker and you have the random super order of assassins like the uh the league of assassins uh, raz al ghul and all of them but killer croc is different because he's just a big dude that looks like an alligator and it's just, it's so random to me because you you have the Riddler and it's like oh wow the Riddler just thought of this brilliant plan, and you have the Penguin and he's just this criminal world he's just this underboss in the criminal world like all of these characters have these crazy, interesting deep backstories and then there's just oh yeah and also there's a nine foot alligator <laughs> man that lives in the sewer like that like to add on yeah 
to things. And so he always, it's the first thing I always think about whenever I think about Gotham City and how weird and crazy it is. Because all the other villains almost feel realistic, right? Like Two-Face has like the, is is it still called multiple personality disorder or? So dissociative identity disorder. Apologies. Okay. Two-Face, like that's something that's real. And like villains like the Riddler, I mean, in the new Batman movie, we saw him, he was almost like the, the Zodiac killer, very similar right mm-hmm. with the with the codes and everything like that and it's like man how are we going to figure this guy out right so a lot of batman's villains are somewhat in the realm of realism mm. killer croc is 9 feet tall and it went from basically having really horrible eczema to being green with yellow eyes scales and living in the sewers of gotham it's so exaggerated and i kind of i kind of love it Mm. And I also, and this is this is a little bit strange. In in most continuities, Waylon Jones is a is a black man, mm. and so that also we have Lucius on the the side of good, but there's not a lot of Batman villains that mm. are black, right? There's also there's not a lot of super villains that you really see that are black. It's not the most diverse set right. of characters in general. I'll right. give them that. Like, you have Black Manta, who's, like, the arch nemesis of of Aquaman. He's really awesome. And then Waylon is the only other one besides when I think the DC's animated universe made Lex Luthor into a black man. Oh. And he was, yeah, he was pretty. right, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like they're finally making Billy Dee Williams into Two-Face, I think, in in the comics oh, right yeah the yeah batman yeah they, they i'm so the mad that that wasn't that didn't happen the, in the films they continue right it, oh man he would have been he'd have been great except in my mind <laughs> in my mind he would have just been lando calrissian as a batman villain is that so wrong <laughs> For okay. all you listeners out there, this is not a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> Maybe someday it will turn into one. <laughs> it's not a Star Wars podcast. No. I'm, I'm more of a Trekkie Maybe. myself. Maybe but... someday. It's not a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm putting so... my foot down. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Waylon Jones, like, you're right. He is, he's he's very much like an extreme. He goes out of the, the realistic. And I, I guess the penguin kind of veers in that direction. But it's like, okay, some people kind of look like birds. And, <laughs> well, it's true. Some people look like birds. <laughs> you get what well, I'm saying. Well, and penguin, and we'll, we'll get, we'll get the crop. We will get there. But penguin, the, and I remember animated series penguin is actually really obsessed with birds like yeah. it's weird it's it's weird he's like oh he like he gets pigeons to attack batman and it's it's so it's it's so random it's like oh yeah i'm a i'm a criminal mastermind but also like i am actually an ornithologist that is with an obsession and exactly it's like, oh and okay. yet that's still more in the realm of reality than than Killer Croc. Yeah. And and you know, I think one of the things that is so interesting about him is yeah, he is so outside the realm of norm. Did he I mean, what were his options? What were the options for this guy who 
he has more and more and more of this like essentially like monstrous or reptilian look to him that is very intimidating and so okay well where where is anyone gonna accept me okay let me let me go to the circus where the people who really don't fit in at all that's where they all go and here I am now fighting alligators and and like you were saying in the beginning, so I mean, what comes to mind when you say killer croc? And yeah. and that that's just one of the really interesting things about him. Where what what came first? What came first? Being being a villain or being seen as a villain? Yeah, that's a good that's a very good point. Because he never he never liked the name Killer Croc. Mm. Yeah, he never really he never really liked the name Killer Croc. So one of his aliases is actually King Croc because hmm. when he got the name Killer Croc, he hated it and then everyone kept calling him that and he was like, "Well, you know what? I'll be your Killer Croc until I take over and become King Croc." Hmm. Like he always he always hated the name, but he got he hated it so much that it got to the point where he's like, "You know what?" I'm going to own it and take I'm going to own it. it and I'm going to relish in it. But what's what what's so unfortunate and bad about that is he could have been better. It didn't have to be that way, but from a a very very young age he was picked on about this, about how he looked and his aunt even called him names i think in the his one of his origin issues his aunt called him lizard boy and a Mm. reptile freak and it just he eventually kills the aunt oh he yep he eventually uh kills the aunt this is pre-crisis so pre-crisis he kills the aunt and then he ends up uh he he ends up committing several murders and he faces off against batman and jason todd and and then of course at that time though he just resembled a really big he was a big guy just covered in green scales but he was basically human but as time moved on he kept looking more and yeah. more and more reptilian he kept fitting the persona of killer croc more and more and more and more until sometimes yeah. he literally has a tail or like people experiment on him to make him even more reptilian yeah, and in some universes he is a cannibal, right? He a- mm. he actually does eat people. I mean, in I think it's the in post crisis the face to face storyline they show him and he had been like eating a killer whale. He had been eating an orca, and so it, it's it's all these crazy things. Where did he find? Was he at a zoo? Where did he find an orca? I'm not sure. That's Sorry, a, that's a, my that's my a, brain no. got stuck on that. <laughs> It's a fair question. It's a fair question, but it's uh yeah, it's if I we can we can take a look at it sometime. It's called face to face. It's like hmm. I can't remember. It's like between six and ten issues, yeah. but it's it's in the detective comics line. Okay, so yeah. now here's the thing: bullying does not equal later becoming a bully. However, right. there are these unfortunate things that that can happen where. Yeah, a person's self-esteem and their confidence and how they learn to be able to stand up for themselves can be drastically impacted by these things where a person may have very, very low self-esteem or they might act and react and actually you, you become the very thing you hated. Um, you know, and, and you can have every reaction in between those as well. I mean, you know, 
hopefully by now the the pattern is pretty clear that not everyone's going to have the same same response to any of the situations that that happen for the these people but yeah there's definitely a lot of things stacked against him and and i mean there's a self-fulfilling prophecy here so within psychology there's actually a, a a few different angles you can look at there there are different types of psychology that that study things from different angles um but one of the things that we tend to see is that when we believe something to is true, when we believe something is true, we can actually inadvertently make it more likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, let's say I'm walking down the hallway and you're walking by and you don't say hi to me. If I assume you don't say hi to me because you don't like me and you're a jerk and then I get mad at you and I snap at you the next time, you're much more likely to not like me and start becoming a jerk to me versus you walk by, maybe you were a jerk, maybe you didn't see me, maybe something just happened and your mind is somewhere else. And, and so what I perceive uh, to be true about why you did what you did it affects how I treat you. And in return, that has a ripple effect of how you then the next time, how you act toward me. So so there's this kind of cascading snowball effect that can happen sometimes with these self-fulfilling prophecies of if, I, if I'm just really convinced someone is a certain way or this is how things are, I'll start acting like that's true. And then before I know it, it's actually true. So this is something that I suffer from quite a bit. That mm. that snowball effect. I think it's called catastrophic thinking. Ah. Uh, like if if I text someone and they don't text me back in five minutes, uh-huh. maybe they're mad at me. What did I do? <laughs> yep. What happened the last time we hung out? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and think of everything I said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send them another text message apologizing about this random thing from three years ago. Right. (laughs) Like I, this is something I legitimately struggle, struggle with. And it's, it's, it's not one of those things where I'm like, well, if they're mad at me, I'm mad at them too. A lot of times it's just me blaming myself for something that may or may not have happened. Yes. So sometimes we perceive things and make assumptions about ourselves or we might internalize things and and say, oh, something is due to me. Um, so we we are the centers of our own universes. Wherever you go, you are the constant, period. Pretty much everything else around you changes. Granted, your cells change and technically, you know, all the blah, 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 blah. You were mentioning biology earlier. Okay, technically you even change. But still, y- you are the thing that goes along with you throughout your whole life. And so because of that, we naturally filter everything through ourselves. And we sometimes forget that we don't have, we aren't the center of everyone else's world. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll internalize and we'll give ourselves more importance in, in things. Um, And then other times we might have perceptions about the world around us or the people around us. And I, I definitely, and you're talking about catastrophic thinking, absolutely. And we can th- consider the worst case scenarios or assume the worst about things. And the thing with Killer Croc. <laughs> so with a name like Killer Croc, 
What are people going to assume? If something bad happens around you, you probably did it on purpose. If it, from, from probably a, a, a very early age, like the, this young kid and who grows into an adult literally has things about him that look like a, a reptile. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times it seems as though he, he fell into that persona. Like you said, he said, okay, I'm going to go. If I'm going to be croc, I'm going for king. Yeah. And so how much does the perceptions of, of how he appears on the outside, who knows how much that influenced how others and even himself perceived him, what he was capable of, the reasons behind what he did, what he did, and and essentially turned him into the villain. Who knows? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because this is still, like I said, he's he's always been treated as a joke character. I think his, his first appearance was like 1983. I think it was 1983 mm. was his, his first appearance. And so from 1983 all the way up until before the new 52, he was just seen as this in, insane and hulking terrifying character but was still kind of a joke character like oh it's killer croc like so ridiculous and one of the things that sticks out to me about this amelia is batman is no better Mm. every time batman encounters killer croc he refers to him as an animal he refers to him as a monster he he never he even like sometimes he's like he's not a man it's easy to defeat croc because all you got to do is look at him like the animal he is and not a human. And, I mean, and, wow. Yeah, even Batman does that. And so I'm like, wow, this this guy, this guy has, he, he, he's, he does not have a chance. He doesn't have a chance. And, and I mean, even when you watch Batman the Animated Series, they treat him like that. In the Arkham video games, they treat him like that. As a matter of fact, in the Arkham games... Uh, the first time you encounter Killer Croc is in the sewer underneath Arkham Asylum. So Arkham at Arkham, he's not even in a regular cell. They just throw him in the sewer and lock the door. So, so there is such a thing as trying to make the environment as healing as it can be for someone. Mm-hmm. Is this that that? Killer Croc or Waylon Jones, shall we say, Waylon Jones, really, there are these differences for him that for him, his healing environment is the sewer. Or is it that he has been beat down to the point where potentially everyone down to even himself sees him as I don't deserve anything more than the sewer. It's it's interesting because so much like. I feel like Croc has a different, a little bit of a different origin in in every single timeline or storyline. Because going back to the Arkhamverse, most of it's the same. Abusive aunt, he killed the aunt and left. But then in the Arkhamverse, he, he meets a, a, little, a blind girl who wasn't afraid of him because she could not see him. She, mm. he, and so... She's the one who was in the traveling carnival or circus and he hangs out with them. And so he was actually happy and he started wrestling with alligators and 
fighting with the reptiles. And so just for a little while, he was happy. Mm -hmm. And then it got worse because what ended up happening is the crowd started becoming hostile and being mean to the performers. He, he caught people picking at the little girl that he had befriended. And then the people that he, that he caught and turned into the, he turned them into the police. And then they Hmm. got out and blew up a, blew up their carnival. Like they, they detonated a bomb. And of course, crop, was thrown into the water and he was fine but everyone else wasn't oh man and so the little the the blind girl died and most of his friends died and that was his origin story in the arkham universe and so at that point he was homeless became a mob enforcer because of his size and then he started working for black mask and that was his full story, but then he gets caught and thrown in Arkham, in Arkham Asylum, and they they feed him raw meat, and he has a shock collar around his neck, and they put him in the sewer. Now, one thing that is interesting, so I don't know if y'all can tell, I'm obsessed with the Batman Arkham games. They're so <laughs> well written, and they do such a great job with uh, the backstory. So one of the things about the Arkhamverse that's really cool to me is by the time they throw him in Arkham and they have him in the sewer, like you said, it could just be where he's comfortable. But at this point, the psychologist is trying to talk to him and cure him. And of course she's talking to him and actually getting a little bit of response out of him. Mm. But the security guard that brings him in Mm. is constantly provoking him you're a monster you're an animal sit down like just talking to him like an animal this security guard was a guy by the name of aaron cash you probably heard you heard me mention him before in uh the i think the welcome to welcome to i think it was our very first episode you mentioned the handless guard yeah yeah and he had two hands before he antagonized well and so okay so here's the thing and Okay, what, what can be really tricky is that different people have different jobs. And so there are actually times that, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, I'm, I'm only speaking from one side of this, but there are actually a number of instances where it makes complete sense and it's only natural for a mental health provider and a security or law enforcer to come into conflict in terms of what they're trying to provide in a scenario because mm-hmm. of what they're meant to provide and, and how those things differ. They overlap in some ways and they're different in, in some ways. And on the one hand, okay, so, um, you know, the security guard, for example, is going to be a lot more cautious and aware and hopefully adapt the environment to make sure that they're safety and we need the, these kinds of things. At the same time, there's definitely this antagonistic piece that you're talking about where this is also someone not trained to actually, um, or if this person was trained, they didn't take it in whatsoever, to help with um, bringing out the best in someone and actually reducing the potential for an issue by how we treat people. And so how do we kind of 
balanced security with humanizing and and was very very dehumanizing to Waylon Jones treating him like Killer Croc and so this is one of the issues that comes up time and time again because we will we a lot of times especially especially in the United States we we give people ownership over themselves you choose your actions you take responsibility for yourself there's a very independent thing and yet there's there can be a lot of pressure from the outside and it's very difficult to say be a pacifist and find a a peaceful way to open up be vulnerable and heal move forward when someone's hurling insults at you like that and essentially um essentially the self-fulfilling prophecy and and that's not to say that 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 Waylon Jones is not responsible for his actions of biting off the hand. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he's not he's not the only factor at play when it comes to Killer Croc being maintained as his persona. It's unfortunate, and I think finally, finally, they realized that DC realized how unfortunate it was mm. because. They, they gave him some redemption. They gave him some redemption. They gave him a little bit of a comeback story. So, like I said, he was just the killer croc, animal croc, no substance to his character, really, from when he was introduced all the way until before the New 52. Now, when the New 52 introduced him, it was interesting because the first time you see him isn't as killer croc. The first time that you see Waylon is in Red Hood and the Outlaws. It's like one of the first issues of Red Hood and the Outlaws. And so Red Hood and the Outlaws, a little bit of backstory. Jason Todd comes back as Red Hood. He survives and he becomes a different vigilante of his own. And then he forms a group called the Outlaws consisting of Starfire and Roy Harper. Roy Harper was Green Arrow's um, sidekick that ended up leaving... Uh, and becoming a very he was very addicted to drugs and it was just a very sad story so he yeah. was very addicted to drugs and alcohol well the first time you hear about Waylon in the new 52 is Roy Harper is in a bar with Jason and he's only drinking water and he like thinks back and out of all people Waylon was Roy's sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, how awesome is that? Right. And that's right. the thing. So, yeah, people who have struggled, like Roy, can sometimes see beyond the exterior. They understand things a little bit, a little bit deeper. That that's yeah. That's I, I love that. I love that it's showing this this other side to Waylon and just. Yeah, giving an opportunity for another direction. And, you know, yeah. I got to say, so obviously, if, if there are people who are nine foot tall, sharp teeth, scaly green, they're very, very few and far between. Like very, very few and far between, right? I I, I don't know if there's some right. sort of condition where that can happen. Maybe there is and I'm not aware of it. But it's very, very rare if that's the case. The condition, the condition that he suffers from is a real condition but Mm. it is not nearly as yeah yeah 
sounds about right in terms of how accuracy often goes. But here, so here's the thing. So, okay, there's this exaggeration happening. However, a lot of the things we're talking about, I actually can really relate to experiences that people have described to me. Um, Especially, I mean, you were talking about he's also a black man. So, so he's this big black guy, and. You know what? There there are these, I don't know if if they did this on purpose and they're more clever than we were giving them credit for or not, but these are very real things that, that happen in day to day. I can't tell you the number of people I've worked with that are like six foot three plus big dudes, and especially if they're a black man, because unfortunately black men do tend to be perceived in a certain way in our society a lot of times, and and so um, I can't tell you the number of times that a, a, pers- a, a person, especially a, a man of that size, is very aware that people see them and have treated them as aggressive or violent when that right. was not their intention. Now, right. am I saying that there are no big men over six foot three that are aggressive? No, I'm not saying that. Obviously, right. but there are also five foot women slim and slender who are aggressive and violent and so the what we see with Waylon while it's this super extreme it does really happen and um we we have people who are often met first with caution fear um an assumption that there's going to be aggression or things like that that they're purely pulling out based on just their physical appearance or things that people perceive about them that may or may not be true. And right. and I think the the stories with Waylon just, I mean, once again, in an extreme, but I mean, for some people, there are some huge repercussions that can happen. Right. And so, and the thing, the one thing I wish that they did, because the New 52 was just basically a huge reset where it changed everyone's backstories and didn't really didn't really change the like show what happened because so before New 52 we had Cannibal Crazed Crop, right? And then in the New 52 suddenly he's not so bad because af- because basically what ends up happening is from the New 52 which was in 2011 all the way until now uh Waylon uh has kind of become the king of the disenfranchised because mm. he he in forever uh, you're in forever evil he's just kind of ruling over Gotham's lower class and he does still kill because he murders a corrupt SWAT team that of course had killed someone wrongfully that and they happen to be one of the only people that were nice to Croc, and so mm-hmm. he kills that corrupt SWAT team, and then I think he he gets angry and he takes over Wayne Tower because of everything going on, and then Bane challenges challenges him, and he doesn't want to do it, so Bane then injects him with venom mm. to kind of make him all crazy and hulking just so Bane could beat him as like a show of, of power. But even after that, he does get caught taking the Arkham, but he befriends someone with DeSoto. Let me think. 
dissociative identity disorder, right? Nice. It's not split personality. That's what you told me, right? Correct. You dissociative, got it right. Okay, cool. So he befriends someone with dissociative identity disorder, and he kind of bonds with her. And, and so he, and then he escapes and he kind of walks, walks over her. His character does have depth. Of course, then they redid it again from the new 52 and it went, I think, what was the next one? Rebirth. And in DC Rebirth, Croc is in the Suicide Squad. Mm. And even then... Even then, like he 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 actually pop he he actually becomes pretty interesting in DC Rebirth because I like he fights Zod at one point. The Suicide Squad ends up in the Phantom Zone, and he kind of has a relationship with uh, Enchantress uh, June Moon, and and so he he is a little bit more interesting and so even after the suicide squad he pops up in harley quinn series and he's like he's still kind of the king of the disenfranchised because he's he goes and tries to take over coney island because that's where everyone laughed at him when he was a kid they made him more interesting they made him more interesting and it sounds like just having him keep coming around to the hurts that have happened to him And, and granted he's a killer yeah i mean let's not dance around the issue and if you only see someone as a killer, then a number of people are gonna a number of people are gonna say, okay, well, then I'm gonna be the king of the killers. Right, and and it, it's unfortunate because in another in another world, things could have been so different. Like I think mm. about Croc, nine feet tall, green and scaly, superhuman strength. He's incredibly strong incredibly fast in the water a remarkable mm. swimmer he would have he would have made a great x-man mm. i was thinking he's like superman mixed with aquaman right he would have in if he had been in marvel universe he would have been perfect <laughs> yeah in the in the x-men but that did not happen he i mean he, he would have he would have ended up with magneto so i mean yeah pro- probably not a hero still yeah, yeah. But... Now, okay, so I'm glad you brought up Hero, because in another universe, oh. in Batman Earth 1, Croc's story is much different. Now, he's it's much different, but it's still quite tragic, because he still had the tragic beginning, because he was born with the bad skin disease, um, and caused him to look reptilian, but... Because of his genetic deformity, his mom sold him to Halley's Circus. Hmm. And when he sold, when she sold him to the circus, the owner of the circus made him foul his teeth down and referred to him as the Reptile Boy. And so that was his origin story there. And he escapes. He basically runs away from the circus, but... Everybody in the city, of course, was afraid of him. And so he started living in the sewers. And, of course, people still from time to time would hear of the alligator man in the sewers. And so the media started calling him Killer Croc. Mm. And the first time Batman encounters him is because Batman just happens to fight to, to encounter him in the sewers. And they fight each other. But... 
finally Batman just lets him know, listen, I'm not here to fight you. I'm looking for the Riddler. And Waylon actually ends up helping Batman. And Batman even at one point tries to help him get a cure for his skin disease and, and Waylon declines. Mm. So instead of treating Waylon purely as a, a creature, he stopped and he spoke to him person to person. Yeah. And, and, and Waylon has... actually helped. Yes, and he has so much more depth because so what because Batman was looking for the Riddler. Waylon had seen the Riddler at some point, but just kind of didn't care because he's like the only thing I care about is the sewers. But then uh, he later on he sees the Riddler detonate a bomb on a train, and he's he feels extremely guilty about it, and so he helps Batman defeat the Riddler. Mm. And then, oh gosh, it gets it gets better. This is by far my favorite crop stories. Batman Earth One, Volume Two. If you want to read it, it's Batman Earth One, Volume Two. After he helps Batman defeat the Riddler, Batman lets Waylon stay at Wayne Manor. Whoa. Yeah, Batman lets Waylon stay at Wayne Manor, and Waylon shows Batman an abandoned subway station that Batman makes into his Batcave. What? Yeah. Oh, what could have yeah. been? Right. Right. Isn't isn't that such a good story though? Yes. And this such a, this yeah. Okay. And I think this is a great way to bookend. Be careful of the assumptions that we make <laughs> because we will just I mean, oh man, just this the the sad tale of Waylon Jones um, and and what could have been. And like you said, it's it's not that it, it, it's not that without the self-fulfilling prophecy, it, I mean he wasn't even able to fully escape from the self-fulfilling prophecy. Killer Croc was still something there, but for someone to put that aside, not just take him at his at his name and his appearance and and just kind of some of that initial stuff and just talking to him person to person. Wow. That's cool. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like it's, it's by far. And honestly, that story made me really love crop a lot. <laughs> I, and it was one thing I definitely wanted to, when, when we were talking about doing this issue. So whenever we shoot, whenever we decide on a subject, I always go through and I try and do a bunch of research as far as stuff that I've read or I'll read something maybe that I think would be useful that I haven't read. But I specifically remembered that one because it is such a different take on Wayland that yeah. we had never seen before. And it's by far my favorite because he's not, he looks like a monster, but he is far from it. Yeah. And I think that's how the the world is. You're not the picture on the canvas, you're the story behind it. Mhm. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard to fight what's on the canvas. Yeah, especially when all you do is get referred to as a monster and the world's afraid of you and the world is mean to you. It's just your people can I now I, I do feel like people can become a product of their environment yeah now I mean once again there it, it's not that simple right you can put two people in the exact same tough 
situation and they'll come out differently. Right. There's, you know, there's genetics to these things in there that they're things that we'll never, we'll probably never fully understand. But absolutely, our environment can be very strong and we can become the product of some of those things. Does it mean we're not responsible for our actions? No, of course not. We're still the ones actively making choices. And the rest of us are also responsible for our actions. And I think sometimes because because it, it happens indirectly, these assumptions that kind of we're reacting to the canvas in front of us rather than what's going on beneath the surface, we don't always realize how we're, we're impacting each other. So one question, because I know we're going to move towards the mm. mindful nerd moment soon. But one question I was going to ask is if someone is in a situation and all they're being called is something that they don't want to be, what are the steps to overcoming that? Ooh. How, yeah, like, that's a good I, question. I guess from a, I, and I guess from, from your, from your standpoint, because of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, I feel like being a clinical psychologist, you run into people all the time that have had to deal with bullying. Yep. As far as someone being bullied goes, because gosh, I know I got bullied as a child. I know a lot of my students as a as a, being mm-hmm. a teacher I know a lot of my students have dealt with bullying what do you think is the best way to deal with bullying cuz unfortunately it doesn't seem like you know r- running and telling a teacher never helped me mm. when I was being bullied and and it was never and even becoming when it became physical that also did not yeah. help it it didn't it didn't help because there's always going to be, it's almost like sometimes it would feel helpless because you feel like it's always something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I was going to ask how, how do you approach that? So I think finding support where you can is important, even if it's not someone who's directly able to, to change something. Um, So first and foremost, like finding support where you can, even if it's, finding their their support online if you don't have someone immediately available to you. Um, but I want to, just in terms of what a person themselves might be able to do, um, I, I think there are two pieces. One is how can we try and find ways to create change where we have control, which is, isn't always very much control. Um, so part of things I'm thinking of is finding ways to find your voice in ways that are as safe as possible, making sure, unfortunately, part of that sometimes is how do I take a stand in a way where I have an escape route? How do I make sure that hopefully if something does happen, there's a way for there to be record of this so that I have what I need? Um, Keeping in mind, you know, what are, what are ways to just make sure that, that I, am able to stay safe as best I can, be around safe people, um, try and just minimize those potential places where it's going to be easier for someone to bully. And that's not to say that it's the job of the person being bullied to take care of these things. The, the hope is that there is a teacher or a parent or someone who can help maneuver through that. 
Um, and then sometimes there are ways to take a stand when it's safe to do so. Saying what is and is not okay. Leaving situations when it's not acceptable. Um, it, it's hard sometimes, but sometimes we do have a choice to be around someone more or less and it might hurt to not be around someone um, because, say, we care about them, um, but trying to minimize those interactions where we can. Um, but I, I think one of the potentially more important things, because unfortunately without a specific scenario, it's sometimes hard to give those specifics of what we can control. But I think, I think, I don't know if I would say perhaps it's more important, but you, you essentially, you were alluding to the fact that we can lose hope. There's always something, I think is what you said. And especially when these things get really bad, and especially if it's happening for someone when they're they're young, when you have less power and control to exit a situation on your own. Um, it can be very hard to keep in mind that life, one of the only constants is change. Does it mean that every other situation is going to be e an easy road? No, not necessarily. However, everything changes. And trying to remember the assumptions. We, we have assumptions about things. And you were talking about catastrophizing. And so when we're in a tough spot, it can get overwhelming. And it can feel like um, it can seem as though there's absolutely no escape. It's always going to be this way. I'm never going to be able to leave this. And life changes. Eventually, the scenario can change or will change. You leave. The other person leaves. Um, something else changes. So uh, uh, Let's, let's take someone in school. You end up in different classrooms from each other the next year. These things, <clears throat> things change and ebb and move. You were talking about being bullied a lot before. My hope is you're not being bullied a lot now. Right. And I think that is what I would, I think, hit home with the most is the fact that not everyone is a bully. It can feel like everyone's a bully at times. And for Killer Croc, I think this is a great example that unfortunately for some people, they're misunderstood by many. And even Killer Croc, even in the hardest storylines, there's the therapist reaching out. Or there's Batman saying, hey, hold on. Actually, I wasn't here to fight you. Yeah. There's the little blind girl. There's the circus. There's even... Even for these characters that really, really struggle, it tend to be these moments where you can see not everyone is against them. Um, and so really trying to focus in on those things and grow those opportunities where you can because they're just so important when, unfortunately, there's a bully or, or, you know, just it seems like the world's against you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I, that's, that's really good. So, um, for the mindful nerd moment, actually, I think this fits really well with what you were um, asking about. Um, so, what I wanted to do for Killer Croc is kind of let's let's envision that we're Waylon Jones, and you know we might not like what we see in the mirror, and we we Waylon Jones in in a lot of these storylines probably 
underneath, if you dig deep, probably doesn't have the best, probably doesn't have the best self-esteem, probably doesn't have a lot of self-worth in a lot of ways, probably sees himself in a negative light because of the ways he's been treated and be because of how, how he looks on the outside and how it just differs from kind of the norm. So I wanted to do a self-compassion break. Um, this is a fairly quick one. I was going to say quick and easy. I wouldn't say it's easy. Uh, so it's hard to give ourselves compassion at times. And especially if we haven't been given compassion much by other people. But once again, what you were talking about, you know, let's say that it, it feels like there's all, it seems like there's always something else coming up down the road. It's that much more important to try and find the compassion within ourselves, um, that we can connect with. So um, what I'd like for us to do is just take a moment to just envision, envision that you're Waylon, you're Waylon Jones. Uh, maybe, maybe imagine that you're uh, looking into a mirror. Just kind of take in, take in yourself and, and what you look like. We're not trying to change it. We're not trying to focus in on on any specific part but just kind of noticing what you look like and just like we've been practicing in other mindful nerve moments not trying to label anything as I like this I don't like this just noticing yourself and in that I'd like you to to say silently to yourself um in a moment of just allowing for Wayland's discomfort the discomfort that he likely feels in taking himself in and saying, this is a moment of suffering. This hurts. And then saying to yourself, suffering is a part of life. I'm not alone. We all struggle in our lives. And even though we're all different, other people feel this way. And now I'd like for you to put your hands over your heart and feel the warmth of your hands and the gentle touch of your hands on your chest. Just notice what that feels like, that weight on your chest and the warmth that it brings. And say to yourself, may I be kind to myself? And ask yourself, what do I need to hear right now to express kindness to myself? And if you know what that is, go ahead and, and give that to yourself. It might be things such as, may I give myself the compassion that I need? May I learn to accept myself as I am? May I forgive myself? May I be strong? May I be patient? And so with that, you can lower your hands and We'll say thank you to Waylon for giving us this time in our Mindful Nerd moment. And we'll come back together.
So what do you think? I really like that one. I really like that one. Like, cause I, I feel like a lot of them, uh, most, most of the mindful nerve moments are all about taking a moment and just like catching your breath and just kind of mm-hmm. helping yourself calm down. But th- this focusing on self-esteem, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's very, that it's very, very important because when it's not just what's around you that's bothering you and it's actually something inside of you that you see in the mirror that's bothering yeah. you that can be so much tougher because mm-hmm. it's not something you can escape from you can't right you 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 can't leave that situation yes yeah. and that's the thing the the question you asked about bullying is a very hard one but essentially trying to find safety where you can and and deal with the external thing around you and bullying unfortunately almost always hits on something I- internally and like you said what's internal to us you can't just walk away from and i'm saying just walk away as if it's always easy to get away but but you you know what i'm saying Wherever, like I was saying earlier, wherever you go, there you are. And so trying to make sure that all these other things don't take away from our ability to have compassion and esteem within ourselves. And yeah, and honestly, I think that if there's one thing that I have learned researching Waylon Jones is that you can be more than what the world says you are. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks for nerding out with us. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Amelia Brown. You can find me at Crafting the Mind on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'm comic enthusiast and nerd aficionado, Keaton Hopkins. You can find me and my friends' movie reviews and reaction videos at teamjvs.com or on YouTube at teamjvs. For more information on this and other topics, check out our website at bat-therapy.com. To keep current on episodes and other updates, subscribe to our Bat Therapy YouTube channel or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.